Please take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. This is the sister psalm, so to speak, to Psalm 51 that we have spent the last couple weeks in. And as we prepare for the Lord's table, this is a wonderful psalm to direct our hearts to the wonderful gift of redemption and forgiveness that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, if you would read along with me as I read out loud Psalm 32, hopefully you have a copy of the Scriptures, whether digital or paper copy in front of you. It is important as we are instructed in the Word to read God's truth aloud in the congregation among the people. Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all the day. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as the fever of the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or the mule which have no understanding, whose trapping include a bit and a bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Psalm 32 really is an opportunity for us to just remember, rehearse, and be encouraged and built up in regards to the forgiveness of our sins. We are in this series, Song in the Night. My Song in the Night, or Songs in the Night, we've been referring to it along those lines. And this series has been an attempt, uh, and uh, as much as it is the, the Holy Spirit that does all the work and He accomplishes everything which we're thankful for, but it has been an attempt to just address the issue of spiritual discouragement and even spiritual depression in the lives of people who are in their journey of faith and struggling. And we've talked through, and I want to keep saying it because I know every week we have new people here and I don't want to uh, miscommunicate in any way. I would, would really be disappointed if you walked out of here with a wrong perspective of what we believe on this issue of depression. So I have said it before and I'll continue to say it, that there are different types of depression and they come. those different types come for a variety of reasons. 
We have said that sometimes they come upon an individual because of just the physical nature of our bodies. Maybe it's the season of life that we're in in regards to changes. Maybe it's after an event like postpartum situation. Uh, Maybe it is because of a medicine that you have taken to address a certain issue in your life and there were side effects to that medication. So there's a number of ways that a depression can come on from a physical perspective. We've also looked in the scripture of ways where a depression can come on to a person because of just the hardship and trials of life that come into a life and they don't seem to let up or they're just so heavy that it it weighs us down from an emotional perspective. And David was a great example of that through the trials of his life that were not caused because of his sin. We're dealing with sin here in this short series uh, that I've been going through over the last couple of weeks. But the times when it was not because of something he was doing wrong, but it was because of the sovereign hand of God that allowed into his life hardships and trials that brought him low. He described his experience of being very heavy-hearted and, and really just that day-in, day-out hardship and unable to really handle life because it was so difficult for him. And so we've been talking about even in that situation, even though it didn't perhaps come on because of a sin issue, but it is spiritual in nature because God in his sovereignty has allowed it and he wants us to respond to it in a spiritual way that would please and honor him. So in those moments we are tempted to even go down the path of sin when those hardships and difficulties come. And so we must have the truth realign our thinking and that's what the psalms of lament do for us they they take us through the pathway really of sorrow and grief and really that godly complaint to the lord and bring us to a place where we can come back to complete trust in our god and we can do that confidently even though the hardship may still be there or the feelings of of hardship and and the weight of it are still present in our life Now the third aspect that we have been dealing with is when spiritual discouragement comes and even maybe depression because of our own sin. And we see here in David's life that we just read in Psalm 32 that he talks about in verse 3, my groaning all day long. Some of us in this room can identify with that and understand what that feels like. Groaning all day long. When the days do seem so long and overwhelming. David was in a season of life where because of his foolish choices and the way that he allowed himself to really, as we talked about, set aside truth. And that's the first error when you say, how does a person get to this place where they can commit such horrendous acts even though we understand from a biblical perspective all sin is a horrendous act against a holy God. We've tried to make that point very clear. But how does a person get to a place where they can be so vulnerable and and their perspective can be so off base where they make choices that they never thought they would make? And we're all capable of that. There's not one of us in this room 
who would say that you know you are above that or you really it would never happen to you because we still struggle with sin even though we have been redeemed we still have that law of sin inside of us as Paul talks about and so the the tension and struggle is real and there so when David started to set aside truth he forgot the goodness of God He used people and his resources to satisfy his desire. And then he was harsh on others and easy on himself. That was like the progression in David's heart that we read in 2 Samuel. And we watched that happen to where he could get to this place of just really, really bad choices. And then choosing to cover those choices, cover his sin, which brought him to the place where he would say he was groaning all the day long. So this morning, I want us to just to listen to the personal testimony of David. This literally is David's testimony as he comes out of his discouragement, depression. He has been forgiven and God is restoring to him the joy of his salvation so that at the end he could say in verse 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy and all who are upright in heart. And he can believe that and feel that because of the work of God by his spirit in David's life. And so as David has given us this testimony, I want to give us three points this morning and hopefully they will be simple but helpful for us that uh, we can take with us as we go. Number one, I would say that David learned lessons about concealing. Lessons about concealing. We see that in verses three and three and four. As well, David learned lessons about confession and David learned lessons about consequences. So those are the three points that I'd like us to focus on. This psalm here, as we have read it, maybe you noticed it, uh, but as I point out the idea, he starts very positive. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven? And he ends very positively. But there's there's not a, a chronological pathway in this psalm. He, he, he starts positive, but then he kind of brings back what happened and, and what was happening to his body as a result of that, and then the confession aspect. So um, I'm not going to... That's why we're starting with verses 3 and 4. You may have noticed that. But I would say it'll be more helpful for us to understand the progression of how we get from... Songs in the night to songs of deliverance. So we saw how in this series how David has gone from where he he was to songs of the night. But then how do you go from songs into into the night to songs of deliverance as he has experienced here in Psalm 32? And I would suggest um, this process of learning the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God. So number one, lessons learned about concealing. Verses three through five, he says there, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me and my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. So we have here... The, the first kind of way that David is communicating about what happened in his life, and again, Psalm 51 kind of mirrors this for us, but he says here there is, there is a, a process that happens when we resist the Spirit of God and the conviction that the Spirit of God brings into our lives. 
when I kept silent about my sin. That is not God's will for our lives. God clearly understands that we are sinful from the very beginning, as we looked at last week, David's own words, in sin did my mother conceive me. God understands that. He created us. He understands the whole process. He created the program of redemption. He understands we still struggle with sin. But it's his desire for us to acknowledge that sin and say the same thing about our sin that he does and come to him on a regular basis acknowledging that sin. But our temptation many times when we get into these places where we allow the choices, the bad choices of our heart and we give in to sin and those sin uh, choices become patterns, we can get to a place where we don't say the same thing about our sin that God does. We actually try to conceal and hide and we think that that will be better for us. And so David recounts these lessons when he kept silent about his sin. And we don't know how long this was, probably was a period of months, if this was specifically the time when uh, David committed the sin with Bathsheba and, and to where she would have given birth to the baby and the time when he went through the process of making sure that Uriah was not in the picture. But we don't know exactly when Nathan confronted him, but during this season of time when he kept silent, what happened was it started to affect his life. He said his body started to waste away. His body was being affected. The vitality of his life was starting to be depleted. And these are these can be effects, not always, uh, but they can be effects of unconfessed sins. But I think the focus of even when we, we understand the idea of depression, it's that groaning all the day, that feeling of being overwhelmed when we understand, as David said, that the Lord's hand was heavy upon him. The hand of the Lord was heavy upon him. The Spirit of God was on him. It is good to be convicted. It is good to feel sorry for our sins. It is good to be guilty. Guilt is our friend. A lot of times we don't like to think about life in those perspective, or from that perspective, and we don't like to, to even really go there, but we should be thankful when the Spirit of God convicts us of our sin because it reminds us we actually have been changed. We are a child of God, and He does have a plan for our lives and a specific will, and He wants us to follow that. And so He brings the Spirit of God and the conviction of God through His Word to show us where we are off track and where we need to get back on track. And so we should not follow this example, and David would say the same thing, don't stay silent about your sin. When we do, the gracious hand of God, as it's described in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6, that God actually disciplines those whom he loves. And so we know that God will accomplish the work in our lives. He does not want us to stay where we are if we are ensnared in sin and we are, we are not running from that. We are actually trying to maybe stay in it, enjoy it, or hide it. He wants us to come out of that and follow His will that He has revealed in the Scripture 
And we want to make sure that we are coming to him in repentance on a regular basis. So I want to just make sure it's clear. David is not concerned about losing his salvation. That is not what David here is speaking of. There is no fear in losing salvation when we commit sin. We'll talk about more of that in a minute. But he is concerned about the fellowship that he has with his God, with his personal father, now that he has allowed this sin into his life and he has followed it and he's committed all these things and he hasn't responded carefully and the way that he should have, he is concerned about being made right with God. And so just generally, a believer's walk can be adversely affected and it will be adversely affected if we do not Live the life that God desires, which I would describe as a life of repentance, that constant humility bringing us to the point where we say, God, there is sin in my heart. It's an obstacle to my fellowship with you, and I want to make it right. I want to confess it to you. So number one, lessons learned about concealing. It's not the right path, and it actually can have really bad effects on every area of our life, spiritually, physically, emotionally, all those areas can be affected by the concealing of our own sin. Number two, lessons about confession. Confession, I would suggest, is the pathway to spiritual health. It is throughout the scripture that we see over and over that God desires us to come to him and and do all that we can, as much as it depends on us, and, and that is outlined in the scripture is just being humble. We don't have to pay for our sins. We don't have to do penance. Someone was joking with me in the hallway this morning. Uh, they, they, they had a number of things happen um, uh, on the way out the door this morning, and so it prevented them, coffee spill, different things like that, it prevented them from coming to church, and, and he made the comment, so am I forgiven because they missed Sunday school? And I was like, yes, you are forgiven. And... Um, I joke about that, but, but it is so important that everyone understands today that when we fail, we do not have to work our way back into the good graces of our God. We do need to, to confess it and be honest about it. But, but the evil one would love for us to feel the guilt so much that we don't see it as what it is, is guilty that we have sinned, but then looking to the cross and understand it's forgiven there. The evil one would love for us to feel that guilt so much that, that we buy into the idea that I have to, we have to do certain things after we sin to be able to feel right with God again. Through the years I've counseled people and, uh, different, with a variety of different uh, struggles and, and, and hardships, uh, but specifically in the moral realm, when people make moral choices that don't follow the scripture, there can be so much guilt uh, about those choices that that we don't necessarily see it accurately and, and like I mentioned, run to the cross, enjoy the forgiveness of God, but but we kind of feel like we can't really go to God because we're dirty and we're clean we're not clean. And David here is saying, when I kept silent when I kept silent about my sin, that's when it went really bad for me. 
But when I confessed, so let's go back to the text. He says in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So, so the lessons that David has learned through this process is concealing sin does not help. In fact, it's really bad for us. Confession actually is the path to health. David said, I acknowledge my sin to you. I didn't hide anymore. I confessed to the Lord. And that is the primary way that we as God's children come back into fellowship with him when we make choices that sometimes we're like, I never thought I would do that. Or the regular choices that we make every day that, that rob God of his glory because of our pride and our selfishness and, and our lack of contentment. And the list could go on and on. I want to just have you see here a passage from 1 John. It says here in chapter 1 and verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So do you see the connection? As David here is saying, the pathway to spiritual health and vitality is to say that we have sin, that, that we have not met the, the perfect standard of a holy God. But just say it, acknowledge it before the Lord, confess to the Lord is what David has learned here. This is the pathway. This passage here in 1 John says the same thing. That if we say that we don't have sin, if we feel like we have gotten saved and we're kind of in this spiritual plane of, of, of maybe some sort of uh, perfectionism that, that would say that, you know, I can get to a place or I am at a place or I'm really not that bad. And I'm, the truth is not in us. When the truth is in us, it shows us that we are not right with God. Because we're not perfect yet. When we see Him face to face, we will be. But we're not there yet. And so if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. So don't let the evil one speak lies into your heart to deceive you that you are okay. We are not okay before a holy God. So with humility... We come to Him, not in fear of judgment, but because we love Him so much and we desire to be as close to Him as possible, we come to Him with honesty saying, God, this is my heart today. It looks really, really bad. And I say the same thing about it that you do. I confess it to you. And that's what 1 John 1.9 then says. If we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that spiritual health and fellowship is restored as we live a life of repentance. So we say about our selfish ambition, God, I love to steal your glory. I love to be in the limelight. I want people to notice me. I want people to see that I serve. I want people to see my gifts and my talents. And, and I want to do it for someone to notice. You know what that's called? Selfish ambition. And it's a direct assault 
against the glory of God because God wants all of our glory to go to him. So moment by moment, we tend to be glory thieves and we rob God of his glory. And that's just one of many things. Our pride that is is so part of our whole thinking. We get up in the morning, we look in the mirror and that's the first person we're concerned about and pretty much throughout the day, we're always coming back to ourselves. How does this affect me? How do I feel? What do I look like in this situation? But our pride is an assault on our Creator. He wants us to go low and live a life of humility. Our lust proves that many times that we are not satisfied in Christ. We want to find satisfaction somewhere in the here and now. Our anger reveals that we still believe that we have rights. That you have violated something for me. And I'm mad about it. And our anger is wrong. We have no rights before a holy God. Our words show that we really don't love like Jesus loves. We may say that we have genuine love for other people, but it's really easy to evaluate when we evaluate our words to them or our words behind their back. So these are just a few of many, many, and we could go on, the list could go on and on of ways that we don't live that perfect life that God desires us to live. And so therefore, what do we do with that? What do we do with this sin that we commit on a regular basis? We go to him and we acknowledge it. That's what David has learned. We confess before the Lord. We don't live with excuses to soften the blow. We go right to our God on the merits of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we say things from a clear and honest perspective. That is where God wants us to be. In verse 2 he says, And in whose spirit there is no deceit. God wants truth in the inner parts as we looked at last week in Psalm 51. So the lessons learned about confession is it is the pathway to spiritual health and the way to stay healthy spiritually. We just continue to say the same thing about our heart that God sees and knows about us. Number three, lessons learned about consequences. And this is where we'll go back to verse one and two to start with. It says, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. So first and foremost, he just explains the fact that there is freedom in this process of confession of sin and running to our God, there is freedom and joy comes from this process and we find ourselves to be reminded of how blessed we are to have a position in Christ Jesus. How blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. David here describes his sin in four different ways. Transgression, he used that word, which is really that rebellion. It's that defiance. It's what we see in a child when they tell their parent no. It's like that same idea. It's, it's that heart of resistance and rebellion. That's transgression. To sin, as he mentions here in the first couple verses, is to miss the mark. So there's a true path, a true direction that God desires for us. And when we sin, we miss it. 
Iniquity, it can be a variety of things, but it's, it's that distortion or those, that crookedness, instead of being straight and perfect, it's iniquity. It's, it's something that's out of, out of whack. It's, it's, it's perverse in a sense. And then he uses the word deceit, guile, or duplicity. So David describes his heart in four different ways, but he describes the, the forgiveness of God in, in three ways. He talks about forgiveness in verse 1. It's that being released from the penalty of our sin, the, the offense that is there. And then he talks about this idea of being covered. It's a similar thought, but our sin is then covered. And then he says, how blessed is the one who, who the, the sin is not imputed. God does not impute the sin to us. The Lord does not impute iniquity to us. Do we deserve it? Yes. But in God's glorious plan of redemption, He has provided us a pathway when we are dead in our sins, our trespasses, all of these ways that even David has described his own life. God has provided a way for us to go through this forensic act of forgiveness where God actually declares us righteous. We deserve the penalty. We deserve everything that, that, that we have committed as far as our sin is concerned. But God, in His grace says, I will not hold it against you. Now, there's a whole spectrum of thought about forgiveness. And I would just say, I think our hearts are, are prone to enjoying the forgiveness of God. But so many times our hearts are not prone to giving out the forgiveness of God. We love it when we understand that we have been forgiven because we've not looked to ourselves for salvation, but we've looked outside of ourselves and we've looked to the Son of God as the Savior, the one who accomplished what we could not, and we trust in His finished work, we love the result of that. The consequences of that is that there is forgiveness. But then when we look at other people... And, and when those consequences of forgiveness actually touch their lives, sometimes they're like, mm, that doesn't feel so good because we buy into the lie that they deserve. I've been trying to just wrap my mind and, around because it's been so popular in our, our culture over the last couple of weeks as a, a, a new variation of the story of Jeffrey Dahmer has, has surfaced and, and has captivated the younger generation. Um, those of us who kind of lived during that era understand and remember a lot of things about it, but the, the newer generation is being exposed to, to that. And, and just the, the multiple interviews and different things that are now resurfacing through that, and you, you take... Uh, a situation, I, I realize I'm using a very stark situation here, but I've been trying to wrap my mind around this idea of forgiveness and, and uh, of the worst of the worst, so to speak. And, and some of the accounts have that the, towards the end of his life, he, he did perhaps, and, and I don't know, and I, I'm, not, I'm not really weighing in on that. I'm, I'm weighing on my heart's reaction to when I heard that, that he repented and he was turning to the Lord on some level. And again, I don't know the details of all that and, and, and that's not the point. But what, what my heart was wrestling with was 
how can someone like that be forgiven? Because of all the bad things. And I keep going back to, Andrew, you love forgiveness when it's you. You love it. But do you love to give it? When, as you say you believe, and this is all my talk in my mind, you say you believe, according to the scripture, it's all an assault against the glory of God. How can we forgive? If we're going to take the truth for what it says, we have to believe that every person who will come to the point in their life where they see their sin for what it is, it's assault against God. And they cannot save themselves. There's nothing inside of them that will make them right with God. There's no amount of work. And then followed up with what has been revealed, the work was completed through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if a person will look past themselves and look to Jesus and put their faith and trust in His finished work... What will happen will be what David has described, that, that he is blessed because his transgressions have been forgiven and his sin is covered. Now, please, I hope I didn't distract you and you're upset now because I used that example and you know, you're weighing in on whether someone like that can be forgiven. Please. The point was, we love forgiveness for ourselves. We should grant and want to give the same forgiveness and we should want to see people experience that same forgiveness that we have. And I know it's difficult in this heart and I'm using an example of someone who is known in the scripture as an adulterer and a murderer in David. But he's also known very clearly, as a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he cleaned himself up and he, he got his act together? No. <laughs> because he has a gracious and loving God. And this text says that the loving kindness of God, in verse 10, he who trusts in the Lord, the loving kindness of God shall surround him. That's mercy. If anyone will look past trusting in their own merits and will look to Jesus who accomplished the work, mercy can surround them. And that's what God has done for us. And that's what, that's what David learned. The consequences of not concealing, not, not hiding, but, but running to the one who has positionally forgiven him and given him a place in, God's, in, in his family. 
And if there is a heart to just continue to live, God, I know I fail you. I am not perfect. I, I know you have explained very clear in your word what you want for my life. And I don't meet your expectations day in, day out. But you still love me. My sins are still covered. You have not imputed the iniquity that I deserve. You've given it to your son, Jesus Christ. And he took that on the cross. It's called justification. Where God declares absolutely righteous anyone who will take shelter under the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate in the Lord's table. We celebrate the finished work of Jesus Christ simply by by partaking in juice that symbolizes the blood that was shed and bread that symbolizes the body that was broken for us. That one time finished work And when we trust in it, there is no condemnation, as it says in Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Psalm 103, 1-4. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not His benefits, who pardons all iniquities, not just some of them, all of them who heals all your diseases and redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. We have glorious hope this morning, my friend, my brother, my sister in Christ. We have glorious hope. We are blessed. As David has learned, how blessed is the one whose sin is forgiven. All of it. As far as the east is from the west, it's all gone in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are justified before him. And therefore, this is what David experiences. So songs in the night become songs of deliverance. So everything ultimately is okay. Now, the circumstances of our lives may not change. The trials may go on and on and on. The physical situations that we're experiencing, they may still be there. They may still be there for a season. They may be there for for the rest of your life. The consequences of the sin that comes, because there are consequences. We've talked about that from David's life. He lost his child, and the consequences went on and on for him, and he he dealt with those the rest of his life. But in the midst of all of that, that did not change, what changed was his heart, where he went from songs in the night to songs of deliverance. So that he could, in verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice and shout joyfully. As the song was, we opened this morning with the call to worship, we sing songs of hallelujah. When the enemy wants to destroy us, the enemy wants us to believe lies about our guilt, We look to truth, and truth instructs our mind, and truth then changes the way that we feel. 
so that we can get to this place of songs of deliverance. So there's a great contrast here because verse 10 it says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, right, shall have that mercy that just surrounds him. So the lessons learned are lessons that we probably have learned in our life and should continue to learn and be reminded of. Concealing sin, no good. Doesn't help. It actually makes things much worse. God knows. He knows our heart. So why not say it? Say it with a heart that says, you know, I'm wrong. Please forgive me. That's the, the confession of I shouldn't have. You're holy. That's what you want for my life. That's what I want. So concealing does not work. Confession is the pathway to spiritual health. So we go through that process and evaluate our heart over and over and over. And what we see is the consequences of that is that we enjoy the forgiveness of God where David confidently knew, I have been forgiven, period. I don't have to work for it. I don't have to earn it. I am covered. In verse 6, it says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time where you may be found. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to do what verse 6 says. All those who are godly, all those who are in Christ Jesus, who have been saved, pray to him. In this way, say the same thing about your heart that he says. Ask the Spirit to show you areas where you have blind spots, where you're not aware So we pray to the Lord. And then as I just read in verse 11, we're going to find joy today. We're going to find joy in the forgiveness of sins. And we're going to celebrate the finished work of Jesus Christ. So there's joy and there's a little bit of grief. We evaluate. We grieve over our sin. Why don't we love the things that God loves? Why do we love everything that he has said? No, it's not what I have for you. So as we go to the Lord's table, I want to encourage us to have that combination of repentance and joy. Evaluation and celebration. And this is the gift to God's family. He says, when you come together, I want you to celebrate my table. And I want you to do it in remembrance of me. And as we are confronted with the finished work of Christ, it should bring us low. It should bring us to a place where, God, I don't measure up, but I know you do. And so please forgive me. And I rest in your son's finished work. So would you bow your heads and and just spend some time as we look to the Lord's table here. Once again, just... Evaluation, celebration. Grieving over our sin, but finding great joy in the forgiveness of God.